0: those of you who don't know me, I'm Graham. Glad that you're here. Uh, you can follow along with what we're going to do now at intoone.ca. There's a page called Latest Message Notes, and there's more content on the online side than there is in the handout, but you can also use the handout. Follow along on the screens as well to, uh, to connect. Welcome to our imagination station. We're going to start off by using our imaginations for a moment, and this is going to work if you are a Christian or if you are not. A Christian, it'll work if you want to be here and even if you don't really want to be here. Okay, ready? Okay, I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you had absolute confidence, perfect confidence that number one, there really is a God. And number two, it's a personal God, a God that knows your name. And number three, a God that will walk with you. Every day. This God has promised to never leave you and to never forsake you. He has promised to see you through and to empower you to overcome and to bear up under and to come through anything and everything that you face. Now remember, this is just imagination. Just imagine, if you can, that kind of faith. A faith that clearly sees that there are very hard things around, but at the same time is still able to, um, to hold on to the promises of God. To trust God, even when we can't see or feel God. God knows what's going on. God has a purpose for my life. God has promised that he can transform all things to work for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. My trust Enables my trust, frees me to walk forward each day, one foot after the other. I will do the next right thing that crosses my path. I will choose wisely. I will choose boldly to live the right way, regardless of what I see around me. What if that was you? Just totally at peace. Imagine that. Why should I worry? I don't set the rate of the beat of my heart. I can't control all that's swirling around me. God is present and He is overseeing it all. No fear about your kids. No fear about your marriage. No fear about your finances. It's not that everything goes your way, but you just have this dominant sense that God is with you and that God is for you. God is around you and God is in you and together you are working in partnership with the God who made it all and sustains it all. Can you imagine, even imagine, that kind of faith? The deep faith to live. People might come up and say to you, are you paying attention? Do you live in the real world at all? Maybe you've met people like this and they say, trust and then you provide information that exists to argue against trust. Well, did you know? Well, did you know? Haven't you heard? Can't you see? Why do we all like to undo other people's faith? Why? Are what, what we afraid that they have something that we don't? Part of us wants to question that intelligence of the other person, and maybe we even think or even say things like, are you blind and stupid? Or maybe, maybe you met with this kind of big faith, and and you hear their story, and you watch what they're going through, you watch it play out, and then you decided they're not getting this. I need to help them doubt. That's what they need. They need some doubting help. I will doubt God on your behalf. And that's how bad things are for you. You're so deluded, you can't even doubt on your own. Let me help you with that. And you meet someone with this kind of faith, uh, this big faith, and you might recognize that they are living in a way that you don't know how to live. But I think that there is something so attractive about the freedom that these people are living in. You don't have that kind of faith. Maybe you are uh, not a Christian and you get get this inner desire to help rattle their faith. Uh, I don't don't want you to be so deluded and so at peace. I want you to see things like I do so that you can despair like me. Let, Let me give you some more information to help you. But somehow their faith is still not rattled. Now, I start with that picture, that imaginary picture, because that is where God wants to take you. And throughout all of the Scriptures, whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, you find them both loaded with stories of God's interaction, His his relationships and His partnerships with people, where He is leading them into a deeper and deeper trust relationship with Himself. That's the ongoing keeps-coming-back-up-again theme in the way that God interacts with people. The reason that it's the story of the Old Testament, the reason it's the story of the New Testament, and the reason that it's your story, the story of your life, is because at the very beginning of humanity, Christians believed this really happened. Okay, That's, We believe that this really happened. In the beginning, the break with God and humanity happened around the issue of trust, faith. The the break between God and humanity wasn't simply a matter of obedience. Like like maybe God had given Adam and Eve a to-do list and they said, well, you did three out of the four and then so God says, I'm sorry, this isn't working out, we're gonna have to break up. That thing that broke the relationship between God and humanity was humanity's refusal to trust God. Humanity decided, and we still decide. We still feel, God, you're holding something back from me. You can't be trusted. God, I don't think you really know what's best for me. You can't be trusted. God, I think you have an agenda other than the one that you told me. You can't be trusted. And the relationship break between God and humanity happened over the issue of trust. And God has been reworking the trust relationship ever since. God's will for your life, regardless of where you are in terms of religion or non-religion, the church, or the brand of your church, or no church, God's desire is to draw you into a relationship that is built around absolute, perfect confidence. God wants you to have really, really big faith in Him. That's what God wants for you. Everything about our lives would change if we would wake up tomorrow with that level of confidence. Our money, our relationships, our anxieties, our friends and our enemies, our our outlook, um, our work, our school, almost certainly our driving, everything would be impacted. Now, in the Old Testament, we have the record of God creating the nation of Israel. And the point of Israel was to show the rest of the world what it's like to have a relationship with God. So when, when God launched the nation of Israel in the desert, we, the first thing that He did was not give them the Ten Commandments. A long time before God gave the Ten Commandments, he reached into Egypt and he said, trust me. I want you to trust me. So so now a trust relationship has been established and it's established by God taking the first step and then far beyond the first step. And now that we are in this relationship, a relationship that God has started by doing huge, amazing, miraculous things for you, delivering you out of slavery, giving you freedom with no obligation to you, now let's talk about how we can extend this relationship into a more ongoing partnership, a trust partnership and not so that we could have a relationship but because we already have one you trusted me you followed me now to continue the relationship not to start it to continue it if you want to continue with me then follow these rules the rules did not precede the relationship the relationship precedes the rules same in your own house probably God's desire is relationship of trust with humanity. And so when we come to the New Testament, we shouldn't be surprised at all. And this might help you to connect some dots, okay? We shouldn't be surprised that the message of Jesus isn't, here's 10 more commandments. It's not, be really good and you might go to heaven. It's not a to-do list where if you do seven, then God will love you. When we get to the New Testament, the message is this. God is saying, I love you. And I want you to put your trust in me because I am trying to reestablish the relationship from the very beginning. And just as the relationship was broken by a lack of trust, a realignment of trust will bring us back together. And that's why the thing that we want for you most to do is to put your faith and your trust increasingly on your Savior, Jesus. Our relationship with God is initiated by an act of trust, just as the break with humanity happened because of a lack of trust. And so throughout the New Testament, you can read it for yourself. What's God after, right? God's going after and and trying to blow up faith. We talk about the road trip here a bunch. And this is our statement where we give a word picture of what we want to be all about. It's we are on a road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. We are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. The earnest pursuit part is all about faith. We are moving towards, we are going after Christ. As as we do that, what happens? What do we grow in? Well, the fruit of hope is the development of faith looking forward. Freedom is the manifestation of faith in the right now. Free from anxiety. Free from worry. Free to be all that we are supposed to be. So that's what we are looking for when we say we want to develop faith to live. Faith is what fills our life, not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus, our Savior. He saved us from sin, and he saved us from death, and he continues to save us in the battle, the ongoing battle for sanctification and a growing measure of holiness. The more confidence, the more faith you have in a relationship, the better. The greater that relationship. So that's the same thing. It's true in marriage, right? The best thing that that can happen in your marriage is for an incredible growing faith in your togetherness. Best thing that grows between a father and a son? Incredible trust. Find me a great relationship, and it's not a relationship based on, well, I asked my dad to do three things, and he only did two of them, so we're going to have a chat. The best relationships are characterized by I trust you when you do what I thought you would do. I trust you when you didn't do what I thought you would do. I trust you when you are late. I just trust you. That's the nature of a great relationship between men and women, between boys and girls, between anyone. It's any relationship, and the same is true in our relationship with God. The ongoing story of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is God wooing people back into a faith-based relationship. So, you want some spiritual guidance or wisdom? You say, Graham, what, what is God doing in my life right now? And the answer is the same for all of us in different ways, in measure in different measures and different intensities. He's trying to teach you to. Trust him. Isn't this true? If you are an out-of-churcher, I I, I used to go, but for one reason or another, I stopped. And at one time, I was, but, but now I'm not. Something happened. I don't know if I want to be part of that. And now I'm thinking, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe I should give it another look. The issue really isn't obedience. The issue is, do I believe this stuff? Can I really turn my whole life over to God? Can I really place my faith and my trust over to God? And the tension is I kind of want to, but I'm not really there yet. And if I was to say, what's not there yet? After we talk for a bit, I bet it's going to boil down into a faith trust issue. I'm not sure that I have that much confidence in God. What's God doing? He's trying to grow your faith. He's trying to make it big. He's trying to make it deep. Because that is the essence of relationship. And more than God wants your obedience, more than God wants you to know a bunch of stuff about him, God, like in any other relationship, God wants a relationship characterized by I trust you. In those um, times, in uh, many times, you don't don't understand. uh, I, I... God, you do stuff, I don't get it, but I I still trust you. You don't always say yes to my prayers, but I still trust you. Life doesn't always go my way, but I still trust you. Why fear? God is ultimately on my side. Okay, so I want to tell you about some life-changing interactions, some life-changing relational moments. A close friend of Jesus followed him around and chronicled what was happening in his life, and he recorded it, Uh, his version in in a um, historical manuscript that is named after the author. The author was Matthew. We call it the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 8, you know know that Matthew didn't add chapters and verses when he wrote it, right? Those were all added hundreds of years later. Up until the 16th century, uh, it was all just sentences and paragraphs. And in about 1550, Chapters and verses were added to assist in the study of these historical documents. We're going to look at the incident reports for two miracles, two times when the supernatural broke into the natural. Two stories, uh, two different people, two different circumstances, but both are based on faith. And here's what's so cool. This is the only time that we are notified that Jesus was Amazed by what somebody else does. A lot of people were amazed at what Jesus did. But this is the only time that we get to see Jesus kind of do a double take, right? How would you like to be the only person in recorded history that did something that made Jesus go, whoa, right? Take note, okay? This is not somebody doing some extraordinary obedience thing. Are you guys watching this? Did you just see him not commit adultery? Like a boss. Unbelievable. Over there, right in front of our eyes. Did you just see her not lie? Oh, that was great, right? And increasingly rare. It was a few. It was not a law thing, right? The law wasn't what amazed Jesus. Here it comes. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I don't know if you will, but I believe that you can. Will you clean me up? It's a lot of faith. And so Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then he goes on to say, you know, don't make a big deal about this. Go follow the proper procedures. Let's not focus this on me. And then Matthew just jumps straight into a second and similar event. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. And a centurion is a military term for a guy who controls, is in charge of a hundred men. A centurion came to him asking for help. An imagination time again, okay? Jesus and his disciples are roaming through this town. And maybe, maybe they're going through the market, you know, just seeing what's around. And ahead of them, the crowd opens, splits. And, and, and there they are, right in front of them is a Roman centurion in full Roman centurion gear. And he's probably flanked by at least two other soldiers in full soldier gear. This is one of those times that we have all been trained to look away, right? Don't make any eye contact. And the disciples are thinking, oh man, we're so busted. Judas, what did you do? And here comes this Roman centurion. And he is going to ask Jesus for help. So just so so you remember the lay of the land here, the Romans are the bad guys, right? They are the invaders. These are the people who force and collect forced taxes. Here comes a Roman pagan, non-God-fearing, law-breaking heathen that approaches and says, Jesus, I want you to do me a favor. Verse 6, he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, let's just read into this story a little bit too, okay? This is uh, maybe our feelings going into the story. So the disciples are, are listening in. Oh, your servant is suffering. Oh, yeah, that's good, Right? Sounds to me like you're getting a little of God's justice and you probably deserve a whole lot more. We hope it's contagious. We hope you get it. We hope you give it to all your soldier buddies. And before you die, which is what we hope you do, why don't you go visit the emperor and give it to him too? Come on, Jesus. Let's get out of here. Let's go help some Jewish people. We're not going to waste our time over a Roman. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Disciples again. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Back that camel right up. The Jewish leadership already think that we are uh, a bit out there and that we're probably not a good thing for Israel. So if we get attached to helping the Romans, well then it's over, right? But Jesus says, do you want me to go to your house and help you? Eight. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Disciples are saying, you're darn right you don't. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, I've been watching you and I don't need you to come home with me. I think that you right here, clear across town, you can do all that you need to do. Proximity is not a requirement for you. I think that you can heal my servant wirelessly. I think that you can heal my servant through remote, long-distance access. At that point, there's just this pause. And I think eyebrows go up. Certainly, Jesus' eyebrows, I think, go up. That's a lot of faith. Now, here's this centurion's understanding. He's explaining what's going on. Verse 9, he says, For I myself am a man under authority. Jesus, you and I have something in common. I've been watching you, and I can see it. It's immediately there. I sense this. You command illness, and illness obeys you. I'm a centurion. I command soldiers, and my soldiers obey me. I tell them to go over there and guard that thing. Don't you fall asleep, or death will find you. I walk away, and they do what I say. I say to these other guys, you go over there and uh, grab us all lunch and bring it and meet me over here. Then that's what happens. I have a hundred Men that do whatever I say, I realize that they do what I say, not because I'm bigger or stronger or smarter than they are. They do what I say because I represent Rome. Now, if these hundred guys do what I say because I represent Rome and sickness and death do what you say, obviously you are representing somebody. So what we have in common here is that we're both under authority. I get my way because I am under the authority of Rome. I don't know whose authority you are under, but whoever it is, it's a life and a power bigger than you or me. So so you don't need to bother yourself coming all the way over to my house to heal my servant. Whoever you represent They can heal my servant even with no cell phone service at all. All that's going on in the centurion's head? That's what he's thinking, right? He made an observation that nobody else got. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Just like you, Jesus, have sickness and death under you. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. Then when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, astonished, astounded. This is the only time we hear this word associated with Jesus. And it is so important to realize that it is not associated with someone being super obedient. It is associated with somebody's incredible faith. And so he says to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Great big faith, great big trust. And that's what blows Jesus' mind. Here's a guy, for all we know, he's still worshiping Zeus or Jupiter, and I have no idea if he knows anything about the Ten Commandments. He's never been to the temple. He can't even enter the temple. He couldn't even speak the language if he was there. But he recognized that Jesus had something. He had something going on. And he recognizes that Jesus is somehow connected to the creator. The one who is greater than illness. The one who is greater than disease. Greater even than life and death. That's what amazes Jesus. He says, this is the whole reason that I came. So that men and women would say, I have absolute confidence because Jesus represents God. So what do I have to worry about? Your faith is the big deal for God. Your faith is the most honoring to God. Don't don't tell God what you will do for him. Show him how you will trust in him. And this makes total sense if you think about any relationship. This is the most honoring to me whether it's from my kids or from my wife, from my family, for people I work with, that they honor me with their trust. So if God is pleased by big faith, what brings about big faith? What grows our faith? When big faith appears, where did it come from? I don't think anyone wants to have no faith. So if you listen over time to people's stories and their you know their con- their conversion stories, their testimonies, this is what my Christian life has looked like stories that say this is where I was and then and then this thing happened and then that happened and that well now here I am. If you listen to those stories and you and you chart them, you could chart those things out. You could even chart your own story out. Think back. Look back on what your story is and chart it out. What were the highs? Where were the lows? What made a big difference? What propelled you forward? And what took the legs out from underneath you? You will begin to notice, if you pull multiple stories together, you will begin to, uh, to notice five things. So, so years ago, when we were um, starting into one and, and trying to figure out, to discern what our spiritual environment would be, uh, what is our philosophy of ministry, um, we're trying to decide and trying to discern the, the path forward. What will it look like? How will we help move people forward in their faith? Before we had finished fleshing out or condensing down the idea of the road trip statement, there was just a jumble of ideas and concepts, like pages of them. And that's now all been boiled down into what we have a way to describe our priorities and our pathway to faith development to look at these five big parts of life stories that we had been hearing. There is no list of these anywhere in Scripture, okay? So you can't find them there. These are just based on real-world observations and people telling their stories. These five things appeared to be catalysts to grow people's faith. They don't make faith grow, but they offer the opportunity for faith to be grown. In, In a story that covers Uh, a faith-filled life, I think that you will hear these five things they come up. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about each one of each of these faith catalysts. This is not a list for you to do, all right? This is not a list that's in the correct order. This list is not in the Bible. This list might not always be right. This list is based on observations and it can be helpful, but it's not something that we're going to argue about or die over, all right? But here are five faith catalysts. The first one is practical teaching. Applied, understood teaching that is based on Scripture. When the stories are told, part of the story is, uh, well, and then someone invited me to church. Well, and then somebody, they asked me to go with them to Bible study. And then there was that day that I decided I'd go to that class. Somewhere along the way, somebody exposed you to practical biblical teaching. And you may have grown up with a Bible in your hand for your whole life and never read it. Never thought there was anything in there for you. Many stories you hear, especially from baptismal candidates are like this. I knew about the Bible. I heard about the Bible. I even carried a Bible, but I never read it. I heard the Bible read to me. I had to memorize verses at some point, but then there was the moment that I went to this study Or uh, the the pastor one day just seemed so compelling, compelling enough to go and read it for myself. And then I read it and I said, wow. I had no idea that was in there. I had no idea the Bible could be so practical. There's a great spot to mention that we're gonna be having a baptism celebration and a barbecue and a pool party Sunday, June 23rd. So if you've been thinking about baptism, playing it around, Let's talk about that. There's a connection page at intoone.ca. You know what? You can even go there right now. If you're, if you're using the, app, or the, the webpage right now to follow along, you'll see links there. But if you're not, later on you can go and you can swipe through the different colored cards until you get to next steps. And there you're going to see all sorts of different opportunities and suggestions to help you take your next faith step. There's a link for baby dedication in there and there's also one for baptism. Um, read it. Fill out the connection, form, part, and let's get you started on the road to baptism. But for everyone else, there's a next step there for you also. What's your next step going to be? Because stagnation will not serve you or us well. Engage. Use this opportunity to grow your faith. Okay, second catalyst, providential relationships. As you are listening to the stories, uh, as people are telling them, or maybe even as you go back and you think of yours, look for this part. It goes something like this. And then I met this, this guy. Or um, then there was this girl. We, we, we met a couple. My, one day my boss came to me and one of the big faith catalysts that God uses to grow our faith, to make it big, is other people. God works in partnership with you, but he is also working with other people in partnership, and part of the partnership is to benefit you. Looking back on your journey, you can look back and you can say, that was providential. I felt like God put her in my life. I'm not sure what would have happened if I had never become part of that group. Looking back, it seems like God just plopped them right in the middle of my path. This is not about a relationship. This is a providential relationship. It's like God acted on my behalf, bringing that person into my life. Third, private disciplines. This is part of your life as a Christian when you are consistently going about working on your God relationship. And maybe somebody showed you how to uh, spend time alone with God, and maybe you learned how to do a fire study, or maybe you began to pray on a regular basis. Somebody gave you a Bible and said, here, go at it. Start reading this thing on your own. You know, why not start at, you know, my favorite book? But just a heads up, if you're you going to start reading the Bible and you've never read it before, the Bible is a collection of ancient manuscripts it's not a book that reads from beginning to end you you can do it that way but i would suggest starting at one of the gospels you know matthew mark luke john let's say john start reading in john meet jesus first and then get a new testament perspective and most people just are not helped by starting in genesis and trying to read it straight through to revelation you can do that it's not bad it just feels a little overwhelming maybe somebody gave you a journal and they said, okay, as you're reading, start writing things down. What are your observations? What have you learned as you read? And maybe somebody challenged you with your trust of God and they said, you should begin giving on a regular basis. This will open up a new door for you and then let your faith grow in this super practical area. Learn to pray in your own words, not formulas and repetitive prayers. And just doing that is so liberating. It's a great area for concern for so many people who are in pursuit of their faith. Sure, I'll pray, but not out loud. Not in front of other people. Somebody might hear me doing it wrong, right? Just pray from your heart. What is honestly on your mind? Use your words. There are so many disciplines that can aid your growth. And we have many listed again, into1.ca. Go there and check them out as well. Get engaged. Look at the things like Sabbath or silence. Prayer, meditation, fasting, study, hospitality, mental focus. So many disciplines to experiment with. Private disciplines that you begin to do on your own. These things pop up in the life story all the time. For your faith to expand and grow, there will eventually need to be development of some of these private disciplines. Four, personal Ministry. One of the areas that opens a whole new set of doors is any place where I decide I'm gonna put my my hands in, I'm gonna put my myself in to something. They 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 asked me to volunteer. They they, they wanted me to me to answer somebody's questions about the church. They they, they wanted me to organize something. Then then, then someone asked me to, to lead a small group study. Someone asked me if I could help in kids' ministry. Then someone signed me up to be part of the First Impressions team to help greet people. And in those moments where you are moved into service, you are serving other people and you are serving Jesus and you are, I don't know, sometimes you feel scared, right? It feels like too much. Do you know what happens when you are scared? You learn to pray in your own words. Now, here's a phrase that everyone needs to experience the blessing of saying multiple times in their lives. Okay, you ready for it? I have never felt so dependent on God in my life. And God is, (laughs) He's saying, that's exactly where I want you to live Oftentimes in those environments where we, we move in and we, we decide we're, we're going to help people, we're going to serve people, we feel so overwhelmed, we feel underqualified, we feel over our heads and we're just hanging on to God for dear life. And in those moments that so frequently God uses you, he uses you. And later on you get an email when someone lets you know, you changed my life when you You were there at just the moment that I needed someone to be there. Thank you for doing what nobody else has done for me. And you come away from those environments and your faith is just bigger. Your trust has expanded and you are not sure how or you're not sure why. But you are not the same as you used to be. But God has done something in you and he was doing something through you. This arises in that place of dependence. The last faith catalyst, number five, is pivotal circumstances. When people tell their stories of God blowing up their faith and deepening their faith and turning, uh, making it something big, something big usually happens in that story. Somebody, somebody dies, somebody got sick, he went through a divorce, got fired lost your job, lost a child, had a child, got married. As these stories get told, a part of the story is that clear, pivotal circumstance. You could have gone either way. Sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. Many times it shows up in in the case of even having a baby, right? So now you get this, now I'm responsible. We're responsible to teach that child. We got to teach them how to dress How to sit quietly in church, and count, and read, and walk, and God. Maybe we should teach baby about God. Do you know anything about God? I don't. Maybe we better take this child off to somewhere to help them learn about God. Something arises that absolutely gets your attention. And somehow, in these memorable moments, God does something in your face, in your faith, that you were not expecting and that you did not ask for. But it happens. Boom, it's there. And so often there are pivotal circumstances that God uses to build our faith. Do you know what one of the, uh, the frequent big moments in a man's life in his faith development is? If you haven't experienced this, it will just sound like uh, I'm making it up, all right? One very common defining faith experience for men is when they first start, by their own choice, to give towards a kingdom-oriented thing, like a church or an organization. And they look back and they say, you know what God used to get my attention? It wasn't tragedy. It wasn't something that was really, really good. But that whole issue of my money, I just wrestled and wrestled and I resisted. But finally, there was a breakthrough. And I just just went for it. And when I look back, God used a circumstance involving and revolving around me and my money. We can see that. We we, we see evidence of this at n one also. Um, We took a quick look at demographics and there are more women who are giving than men who are giving. And this won't be about everyone, and this is not about guilt. This is just the way it seems to work out. But there's this general insight about things that God uses to build big faith. Let me remind you that God did not provide a list to anybody. This is not your to-do list. You can't go out today and have a pivotal circumstance you can't book a, a, a Tuesday lunch where you, you will have a providential relationship where you look at somebody in the restaurant and say, be my friend? Will, will you be my friend? That generally just doesn't work out very well, right? These are things that you see, but you see them most in the rear view mirror. But if you're a parent, you can help your kids get into an environment where these things are being leveraged. If you are a Christian, you can get yourself in and then stay In environments where this stuff is being more regularly leveraged. When you become aware of this and somebody asks you to serve, and you're thinking, man, I'm not sure. I'm not ready. I'm unsure about my calendar. I'm not fully prepared. That is partly the point. You may not be fully ready, but I bet God wants to do something building my faith. That's how God works. Or this one, this one's even scarier. Will you let God in when something goes horribly wrong? This is one of the hardest lessons to learn in life. If you will allow God in, and if you will allow God to, He will leverage the worst into the best. But you have to allow Him to do that. And we resist that so much. Knowing that is just a little bit of preparation for when that day comes when you do suddenly, out of nowhere, lose your job. Or your daughter says, I'm done with you and I'm never coming home. Or the doctor calls and he's got bad news. You know, Whatever it might be, when you remember, oh yeah, God uses pivotal circumstances to make my faith bigger. That doesn't take away the pain. It just means that you can remember that these are the things that he can and does use. He transforms the darkness. You don't read your Bible to get a check mark instead of an X. You read your Bible because it causes your faith to grow. Being aware of these things prepares us and makes us sensitive to the ways that God moves as he seeks to build our faith. Why does he want to grow our faith? Because the greater the faith, the greater the relationship. The relationship becomes stronger. The relationship becomes more intimate. And simply knowing the Bible in isolation from relationship, do you know what that makes you? So frequently it makes you arrogant. You've met people that are like this. They know a lot because they tell you that they know a lot, and you can just become a Christian snob. Did you see how long it took her to find John 3.16? Honestly, here, just give it to me. I'll do it for you. Come on. With no dependence on God, all of that focus on holy living leads you to the temptation to become legalistic and judgmental. I cannot believe he wore that. To church church. Hello, if Jesus could hang on the cross for you, the least you can do is wear a tie for him. God must love me because look at all I do. Your holy living needs to be influenced by constant dependence on God, constant trust stretching, or you can just become legalistic and judgmental. Dependency leads to intimacy. That leads to relationship. And I want you to have a growing relationship with your heavenly Father. And there is no point where that growth ends, that our arrival at the end happens after death. And until then, we are together. Regardless of whether you are old to the path or new to the path, we are together in earnest pursuit of Christ. And we are being brought together into one where we find hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. May your faith in God continue to increase. May may you continue to trust him more. We follow Jesus in the Gospels. We see that the men who knew the Jewish scriptures the best, the men who were the goodest people in the whole culture didn't recognize Jesus because they had it all together. And apparently there was no moment by moment faith and dependency and trust in the God that they wouldn't allow themselves to address as Heavenly Father. And Jesus came along and said, May I have your attention, please. All right? All of you good Jews, I'd like to introduce to you my new friend, the centurion. He doesn't know squat about the Jewish scriptures. He's never been to the temple. He couldn't recite any of the Ten Commandments. But this man right here has more faith than anyone I have met in our nation. And that's why I came. That's what I want for my people. Kind Father, thank you for making it simple. Thank you for calling us to relationship and not perfection. Thank you for calling us to relationship and not just knowledge. Thank you for calling us to relationship and not just religion. Thank you for calling us to relationship because that is what we desperately need in all of the moments of our lives. Father, for those who are not sure what they believe or where they stand with you, I pray that you would give us the courage together to walk in these next few weeks. May each of us grow in our dependence on you and our trust in you. May we trust you with our blessings and may we trust you with the things that don't feel like blessings at all. We are going to trust you, Jesus. Amen.